What's up and welcome back to Nostalgia Pod, giving you your weekly look at what's going on in pop culture, whatever's left of pop culture at this point. Uh, uh, it's, it's, <laughs> it's Pat Sheehan with my co-host Dave Martinson. Dave, Tenant pushed back again. Are we ever going to watch movies in the theater again? Might not. This year might not happen now, you know? Like, it's not. And I, I do feel bad for like theater owners in Europe that actually want to be open but don't have any Hollywood releases to entice the masses because Hollywood releases do occupy the majority of the screens in the summer in Europe as well. So it's uh, not looking good for the industry at this time. Sucks. Yeah, uh, definitely, definitely sucks. Tenet is a movie that we've been very excited for for a long time. Even people that aren't huge Christopher Nolan fans I hear talking about just wanting to see it, wanting to feel like things are getting back to normal and uh they're not going to be for some time uh so all i can say is wear a mask and also subscribe to nostalgia pod if you're watching this on youtube.com slash nostalgia pod or soundcloud.com slash nostalgia pod give us a follow there as well uh share us with your friends and family because we talk about music tv movies and we're gonna start with a lot of music today dave and it's an interesting mix we have uh we have some up-and-coming hip-hop artists we have some uh resurging female pop artists pop country as well so uh, quite a lot to talk about and we're gonna start with someone who hasn't dropped music in three years joey badass where did this come from admon back baby uh i don't know i think he just kind of teased uh relatively recently that new music solo music from him was coming now, obviously, we had group efforts from him with the Beast Coast album last year, but I think there might have been a one-off like freestyle here or there, but no new solo releases since All-American Badass back in 2017. It's been a long time. And he actually had some quotes about this, this you know relatively long wait, especially as far as active rapping goes. And he said uh, he doesn't make fast food. You know, sometimes <laughs> it takes more than six months to have something come to him, you know? And... In general, he seems to be pretty consistent in the attitude, which I respect. Um, yeah, we got this little three-pack. He says don't call it an EP. I mean, it's an EP, I guess, or yeah. a, a, a single. If, I mean, if this was on a vinyl, this could have been like a, a, tr- a double disc. Right. You know, but like, yeah, it's an EP. <laughs> yeah, it, for sure. Um, you know, and in, in, since All American Badass, which I, I know was is an album you really like, an album we talked about in the pod when it came out. I think we both uh, thought it showed a lot of promise and, and expansion of sound and, and you know trying some new things from Joey, which was really exciting. He was only, what, 22 when he dropped that? So only 25 he's, now. Yeah, he's 25 and, and kind of having this almost like resurgence or rebirth uh, back into music is pretty cool. And mm-hmm. um, I thought this these three songs sounded really great. Dude, like I was blown away with with each one of them in, in different ways. Um, feels like he's really grown as an artist in terms of direction he's going in. Um, I think he he was really sharp on his verses, and he was taking some shots, man. Like that, he, uh, what was it? The first was it the first song mm-hmm. he comes yeah. on? And he's saying uh, mumble rap extermination. This is I mean, godly interpretation. He's he's coming at the, the the young bucks here, saying you know they're not respecting the the classic rap game. What what do you think about that? Yeah, no, I mean I, I like hearing that from him. I like hearing that from anyone, really. Um, <laughs> it's interesting because 
you know, with All American Badass, he had kind of moved beyond that really classicist boom bap production and style that he blew up on with 1999, and in the process had a lot, a lot of lyrical conscious music, particularly about the, you know, the moment following the the Trump election. You know, songs like uh, songs about police brutality and mm-hmm. racial inequality, stuff like that. You know, I think of songs like Land of the Free. Temptation. There's a bunch on there, and but you know, alongside that, you had Temptation and Devastated, of course, songs that do not sound like that boom bap stuff at all. And this, you know, I mean, this isn't like like real boom bap here on the light pack, but it's more to his roots in terms of just kind of being a really proficient technical rapper with Mm -hmm. something to get off his chest. So I think for any Joey fans, this is certainly at least uh, a good sign and, and and you know, it, it makes you more excited about what's to come. You know, I mean, he's uh, paying homage to Bobby Brown in the video with the mm-hmm. the red on and stuff, and it, it's uh it's exciting. You know, because I, I think Joey Joey's been making music for eight years, and he's only twenty five. Like, it really can't be understated that he's like like a young OG. It's fucking cool. So I'm I was yeah. really excited to see what we get next. I think these are three like really kind of you know classic Joey songs. So it's 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 great to hear him back. Yeah, definitely. I really liked um no no explanation. I think Push comes in and just kind of continues his run of like excellent features. Uh I guess minus the pop smoke one that was taken off confirmed now. It would have been wild if Pusha continued the Drake beef. <laughs> like his immediately follow up feature, more Drake shots. That would have been so so funny. <laughs> Every feature he does now just has to have one Drake shot in it, no matter what. <laughs> I would I would appreciate that. Um, yeah, and then I, I really liked um, him sampling Roy Ayers on Shine. I thought that was a really cool sample, yep. and mm-hmm. I thought that that song just sounded like I don't know, like old school gangster sitting in like a, a smoky cigar filled bar type shit. It sounded really cool. Um, but yeah, overall, I was really impressed. With this. I, I I hope we get some more music real soon. I mean. It's been a while and I feel like he's, he's coming back sharp. So have to imagine there's more in the future. Absolutely. Yeah, Joey also had another comment recently. Um, it might've been the same time he talked about not making fast food where he said he doesn't like albums that are over 14 tracks and he approaches his own music making in that fashion. I'm like, my guy yeah, gets it right <laughs> here. Also, he had a tweet where he's like, I haven't dropped solo music for the entirety of rainbow boys career, <laughs> which was factually true. Yeah, pretty funny. And he's he's uh, not really uh, hiding, I guess, in terms of his criticism, which I, nope, I appreciate. Not at all. Say, say, say what, what you mean. mean. Yeah, exactly. Love it. Uh, well, Dave, let's move on to uh, some artists that maybe aren't as um, uh, skilled or <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, so Stay Solid Rocky dropping his debut, I guess, debut project, mm-hmm. even. Uh, yeah. Fallen, you know, he really rose to fame through Instagram, dropping snippets of songs, things like that. Then dropped the Party Girl music video this past December. Got, like, over 2 million views, and then TikTok took it over as a dance craze, and it really blew up. So uh, probably was always going to be something coming from this uh, this young man, only 19 years old, but, boy, uh this is probably the best album I've listened to all year. Just fantastic. <laughs> Something new and exciting on every track. No, uh, this was this was fucking terrible. Dude. Uh, like one, one of the worst albums we're going to review this year, I think. 
Yeah, his come up is interesting to me because, as you said, he's like actually a genuine TikTok success. He didn't pay to promote himself on TikTok in the early days and get lucky with that the way someone like Flo Millie did, which also nothing wrong with that, of course. And obviously now with TikTok, there's so much money involved in, in promoting yourself with the influencers on the platform that to have a genuine song because people like the song like dancing to or whatever hasn't like that genuinely happened it just seems harder to do now like old town road and party girl those kind of tiktok successes might already be in the past a lot of like anonymous label people have already shared that idea and you know i i, I just i think it is pretty cool that some some guy who openly acknowledges that he's a work in progress as an artist was able to find so much success and I think he's at like 200 million Spotify streams for Party Girl. And he's looking yep. at like 20 million monthly listeners on Spotify these days. Basically off of that one track, he's got like <laughs> 10 official songs out, if that, you know. It, 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 so I, I give him credit for that. But I think I think to what you're alluding to, uh, alluding to what you're openly saying, is that I don't think Stay Solid Rocky does much uh, new nor anything like that well that you would immediately think of him for doing, right? Like if we think of like his lyrical subject matter when it comes to uh, sad boy shit involving girls, it's like the Venn diagram of him and Juice World is just a circle, right? <laughs> so I think in a sense, his appeal right. is, is like Juice fans probably do like some of these songs, maybe just not as much, you know, like it's that mm-hmm. same kind of e- emo melodic hip hop boy shit, you know? Um, yeah, I do like Vankin Heart though on this. I actually think he sounds good on that. Uh, I think that's a really catchy hook. And then the feature from uh, Big Four Keezy, I actually think he comes in really hard on that and f- fits the flow really well. So I actually genuinely like Vankin Heart. But and <laughs> Uzi was was I think pretty pretty fun on the remix of Party Girl. But yeah, it's um it's really nothing you haven't heard before. Yeah, you know, if he was doing like a. a better juice world impression i think i would be a little bit more tuned into this but i really just felt like most of his delivery his raps were just really monotone nothing really super engaging and when he sang i just was like bro please don't sing like this is you don't seem to have any vocal training or range it just really didn't uh didn't impress at all it's funny to bring up the juice world thing because i you know, reviewing the the posthumous album last week um, I feel like Juice World. At least you could kind of see the appeal, and like you could see like the technical ability. Um, I, I mean, yeah, he, he wrote a catchy song, "Party Girl." Obviously, uh, catches the youth, and I'm sure that there will be some TikTokers who will watch or listen to this and be like, "This old millennial just doesn't get it." Like, go listen to your Kanye West, bro. Like, come at me. But really, uh, I don't find much redeeming about this. Um, Good, good for him though. On you know, blowing up the way he has, and maybe, maybe the next album will be better. But just right, not impressed. Inter- inter- interestingly, he's now managed by Solomon Sabode, who was the former manager of XXXTentacion, and Solomon actually reached out to Rocky when this Party Girl blow up was happening, and was able to bring him to Columbia Records. So hmm. I guess Solomon earns his uh. His, his his success once again by kind of seeing this before most people were and finding a genuine hit as it was happening. So good for him. Good for Columbia, I guess. Um, also, <laughs> on Party Girl, um, he, uh, Rocky has that line. Uh, she 
drink the four locos i can't fuck with those though or whatever it goes bro what the fuck we doing here man you know you you, you, you're just fucking not cool if you're not fucking with no four locos man that's an economical way to get drunk yeah (laughs) no you know yeah uh favorite four loco flavor dave from the og four locos oh that's a tough one um i got watermelon yeah definitely yeah. I, I think if there's any one i really disliked it was the yellow one Ugh, that, the, yeah, that i think was it was more about gasoline. weighing your options of which ones you dislike the least more than like yeah well it, it tastes like turpentine yeah it's like so, pain tolerance yeah. you know <laughs> exactly um speaking of pain tolerance let's move on to kyle dropping uh, another album See you when I'm famous with like 10 exclamation points. Um, boy, we reviewed Kyle's <laughs> Light of Mind back in 2018. Correct. I think if I remember the review, I think we felt like um, it wasn't enough like variation in the album. It was kind of mm. meh. Uh, some potential songs that sounded interesting, mm-hmm. but nothing that really blew us away. And we Playing said, with yeah. me, Kalani. Definitely the big yes. lasting song from that one to me of course apart from i spy but yeah kind of a like uh he's almost sanitizing his sound down a bit after being a little more quirky on his early internet mixtapes and stuff so and i mean since then two years later kyle's still quite mainstream right kind of doing diet chance stuff right yeah and uh that's i think we get a lot more of that on see when i am famous uh did you feel like this was a step forward for him as an artist now, I wouldn't say it's a step forward. I don't know if I necessarily say it's a step back either, but de- there's de- it's definitely not, not really much growth here. Um, and it's interesting. When I hear a song like, say, Yes, on this new album featuring Rich the Kid mm-hmm. and K-Camp, I actually like that song a lot. I think too. I actually think that's one of my favorite Rich the Kid features in a long time. And K-Camp, uh, he, he fits it well too. And, you know, obviously coming off Renegade, uh, or lottery, which made the renegade dance. He's a, a choice feature, I think, in terms of, you know, economics. But yes, is funny to me because they all kind of like have a surprising amount of chemistry for a song that was unlikely to have actually been recorded in person. I was like, wow, this is cool. But Kyle isn't actually there's not a whole lot of like that Kyle personality on that song. But I still like the song, you know. So he, he, I've been th- trying to think about this album, and it's. I actually wonder if I like him when he's more mainstream and I guess less noteworthy. I don't know. It's because mm-hmm. uh, like like moments like that, like moments on Yes, I, mean, I actually think this is really fun. This is really catchy, but Kyle's not doing anything that great on that song at all. Um, yeah. I think if, there's a, if there is a moment that might lead itself to new sounds and growth for Kyle, I think it's What It Is, which was one of the leading singles. That's... Uh, you know, that's kind of more sad boy shit that, you know, stay solid Rocky would probably fuck with, you know, but <laughs> I actually think, think that one goes and, you know, whether it's mixed really well or not, he, you know, he, he has a, a decent, decent voice when he's crooning a little bit. I didn't think it sounded that bad. So, you know, stuff like that uh, stands out to me, but otherwise, yeah, I guess you could, you'd say it's a bit of a letdown, like girls with Rico nasty. I wish that was better. Right, like Bryson, when Bryson I saw Tiller, Rico, he never. I never see Bryson yeah. Tiller anymore, and again, not that great, you know. So yeah, but the Rico, Rico and Kyle, you feel like that could be a match made in heaven, and it didn't happen this time. I mean, anything Rico nasty drops on, it's usually fire. But even this just felt like she couldn't save this song. 
And uh, yeah, you know, looking through, he's got some pretty big features, but none of them other than probably Rich the Kid and uh, Kate Camp on Yes, like you said, really I felt like stood out. Um, I did think Mr. Man and, and Kid, K-I-D, was an interesting song. And I think you can kind of like that Diet Chance, you know, comparison you made it at the beginning, you really hear that in that. And uh, man, I think I feel like when you think about Kyle and, and why he initially kind of got that, interest because he was like a introspective but kind of like playful more upbeat artist in that sense but hearing you say like you almost like the more mainstream stuff it's like which is the Kyle we want the one that's going to make the bangers and like the songs that we can really enjoy or the one that might do this more reflective stuff but probably is gonna have a lot more hits and misses it's it's a tough lane to be in kind of in between yeah yeah, and Mr. Man and KID, that is very similar to his earliest work. Yeah. That kind of quirk, that almost that self-awareness, that split personality stuff. That's very similar to his old stuff. I think that yeah. song is going to be a big hit for his longtime fans. But yeah, I mean, I think what I want from Kyle is stuff like Hey Julie with mm-hmm. Yachty. You know, it's just kind of that light, airy, nothing too deep about it song. Yeah. And fortunately, on See You What I'm Famous... The mo- most of the moments do have that kind of sentiment, but they just don't actually all hit that well. So it's, it's you know, he was, he was piping this up as his best album he ever made in his opinion. And it's like, I just find it curious to have him think that because he doesn't seem like he's committing to either direction. Like you have Mr. Man and KID on the same album as Yes. So which, which one is it, you know? And what it is on there too. I guess th- those three songs in particular kind of stand out to me because of how different they are from each other. And maybe Kyle doesn't actually want to commit to any of those lanes and kind of just do his own thing because he's already successful enough. It doesn't really matter. You know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's tough. Um, I don't know. I-, I feel like Kyle still has a ton of potential and probably his best work is ahead of him, but definitely was let down by by the last two projects, hoping we get some some better stuff moving forward. Speaking of better stuff moving forward, though, Ellie Goulding, Golding, however you want to say it, she is uh, 63rd in the world on Spotify right now. Pretty surprising. I, mm-hmm. I did not expect her to be that high. Not, you know, not a big artist in the U.S., for sure. So, no. yeah, I was also surprised as well. She has that uh, that Brit pop uh, backing, and, and, and it's interesting because when I think of Ellie Goulding, I – have a very distinct memory of being at Firefly in 2013 and walking by and seeing her on stage. And I think I heard burn and I was like, all right, I can go. I heard like the one song I really know and like by her. And like, I had it out, just kind <laughs> nice. of walked by going to a different stage. And that's kind of always how I like imagined her, you know, like she was one of those artists that would like pop up on a Zed song or on like a Diplo song. And like mm-hmm. her vocals are very distinct. She has like that rasp that really I think sets her apart but where she falls in like the the female pop vocalist realm, I mean, I can't. It's hard to even rank her. Like, where would I, where where do you think she falls? Yeah, that was also framing my my thoughts as well because I think for me the song I would go to would be Lights from the mm-hmm. first album. That 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 is a, still a banger today. But yeah, I mean, I'm just thinking of like pop. You think of pop from England, and you have like the mega stars, right? Like. Uh, Ed Sheeran and Adele and I guess Dua's vastly approaching those levels too and then after that it seems like it's a lot of like new heads right it's like Georgia Smith it's Mm -hmm. 
LMI. It's Louis Capaldi. It's Harry Styles and the One D dudes. You know, um, so like, wait, where, where do we think of Ellie Goulding? Because she's only like, I don't know, five, six years older than Charlie XCX, but she just feels like she's from a way different generation. You know, mm-hmm. like I don't know. Do we put her in the Florence Welch generation of English singers? I, I don't know. She, she's hard to classify because she's, yeah. you know, kind of like, I guess, Rita Ora to an even bigger extent. She's someone that really has not made any musical footprint, sustained musical footprint in the U.S. despite being very successful. Yeah. Across but, the you know, like, you have to think, her biggest songs are big songs. Like, you just mentioned Lights. Um, I Need Your Love with Calvin Harris was right. a huge hit. Burn, like I said, was pretty enormous. Then she's on the Fifty Shades of Grey soundtrack. Um, uh, I mean, I feel like there are, are some real hits here. I think that's why it's so hard to like really place her because she has these songs that pop up and you're just like, oh, like Ellie Goulding is fucking awesome, dude. Like this mm-hmm. girl can sing. She's so distinct sounding. But then you like try to name like her top 10 songs and you're like, wait, uh, I can't even think of seven of them. You know, it's, it's mm-hmm. tough. So uh, really, really difficult to place. And never really like listening, listening to her as like an artist in that way, just like going through albums. No, she was always a singles person for me. So listening to Brightest Blue, I found to be a really interesting experience and kind of going back and listening to some of these other albums. It feels like Brightest Blue is probably the most cohesive sounding album that ellie's had like it's that it feels like from start to finish there was at least like a vision um and some really strong vocal performances also definitely trying out some new things like she's not just going for like the straight vocals here but she's kind of switching up sounds distorting a little bit um i thought it was pretty good uh i'm gonna say that i'll let you kind of talk talk your piece and we'll maybe pick apart some of these songs yeah i agree with it I also like haven't listened to Delirium or Halcyon or the first album Lights, so like I, I don't really have a big frame of reference beyond the big hits that have popped, as you as as you shared as well. So coming into this, I really actually didn't know what to expect because I'm like I don't even have any idea what the LE deep cut is, you know. <laughs> right. um, and it's actually kind of weird, Bright is Blue, because at the back of this album, you know, it's it's 19 tracks, and at the back of this you have a string of four tracks with features, some of them quite big, Juice World, Swaley, yeah. Black Bear. And I was like, wow, that reminds me kind of of like the mainstream famous Ellie Goulding, right? And those right. songs for the most part are very different from what, you know, I think the, the lyrical content from the rest of this album when I think of a song like, say, a Woman in the middle of a track list, right? Yeah. So I, I think, you know, the, these these cuts, they're, for the most part, she's trying to actually like look inward and, and be quite um, introspective and about, you know, she hasn't released an album in five years. That's a long time in pop music. And, yeah. you know, I think she's talked about some anxiety she's had in studios and stuff. And uh, in general, uh, has a lot of experience in the industry and trying to hear that come out here and there on this album, I did enjoy. But yeah, I'm actually, I'm curious what, what like hardcore Ellie Gooling fans think of this because from what I understand, sonically, she has jumped around a bit in terms of the kind of music she's made. She almost was making more like stripped down tracks on the last album, I think. And, you know, she used to make much more electronic leaning songs. Now I think she's kind of settling into like a, like a lighter synth pop, I guess. 
But as you said, mm-hmm. there are some experimentations here. I think of like that interlude track Wine Drunk, which is just heavy, yeah. heavy auto-tune inflection, you know? Mm-hmm. So interesting for sure. You know, when it first started off uh, with, with Start, aptly titled mm. song, <laughs> um, I really felt like I was listening to Ellie Goulding doing a weekend impression. Ooh. You know, like it really like like the cadence and delivery, uh, the flow, if you will, from Ellie, which I don't know if I've ever thought of Ellie, uh, Ellie Goulding's flow before, uh, really seemed like she was kind of stealing from uh, like a song from Bright Lights or something like that a little bit. Um, and I, I think I like seeing her try these things because there's only so many times she can make a song like Close to Me, which I think is the obvious like pop song off this like radio play song off this um album to me um and really continue to grow as an artist like if she's really gonna just kind of back into that i'm gonna do vocal features on edm artist albums for the next 10 years that's gonna be her lane like good for her but she's definitely got more talent and i think that shows in some of the songwriting on this it comes i think across really well um you mentioned woman i think ode to self is a pretty like uh woman empowerment like deep look at herself which i thought was pretty good i even thought um power and how deep is too deep were pretty strong songs as well so Mm -hmm. you know there's a lot here to like and i think ellie goulding is an artist maybe she's finding like what works for her but like you said she does seem to be kind of um you know placing her bets or or hedging her bets a bit with uh also doing this a second this second part of the double album with these really big artists um did you like any of the, the features on there? Any of this stood out? You know, when I heard the song Hate Me with Juice last year, it didn't really stick with me. But listening to it again for this, I actually liked it. I thought it was actually a good mix. Um, yeah. And, you know, I think Ellie is, like you, like you mentioned, she has that song with Calvin Harris. And she, she has, like, maybe she's almost underrated in her ability to, like, collaborate, I think. Yeah. Because she's dabbled with really a lot of sounds in the ten year in like the past ten years or so, she actually can lend herself to a lot of other people. So, For sure. it's a cool collab. Yeah, I thought um, "Slow Grenade." While the lyrical lyrical content is kind of stupid, uh, how do you mm-hmm. say "love"? Love? Yeah, love. Um, sounded just like Sean Mendez to me on this, yes. and I thought they actually a mesh together pretty well in terms of vocals so i now i just want to hear sean mendez and ellie's song maybe maybe they'll work together who knows a good one any last thoughts on this or on ellie in general shout out ellie golding man yeah i like like her happy happy to talk about her again first time on the pod again it's been a long wait yeah five years it's the last album curious to see how this does here in the states well and talk about a long wait uh Dixie Chicks, or should I say The Chicks? Why don't we start there, that. actually? Um, uh, w- what do you think about all this like re- name renaming, Lady Antebellum becoming Lady A, the Dixie Chicks becoming The Chicks? Uh, mm-hmm. h- how do you feel about these name changes? Yeah, you know, the, the, these are interesting to me because they're just references to past Southern history right. that obviously greatly uh negatively impacted the lives of the black people in the south at the time of course but there's there's, there's also you know like it kind of reminds it's like the other thing with gone with the wind right now right it's like it's like this whole like romanticization 
of that period of time in the South, right? And see, I don't know, like the, the word antebellum, does that really need to immediately be thought of negatively? Dixie? I don't know. I thought I thought they're they're kinda kind of middling in terms of the offensive category. Like I can get it. Like fine, don't bother. That's fine. I think honestly, Lady Antebellum's name change. Yeah. Lady A when there's already a long established artist named Lady A who happens to be black and then they're actually like suing that person over this. Um it sounds like you're being very performative and don't actually give a shit at all. Yeah. And that the chicks, I mean, whatever you, they, they've been, they've been the Dixie chicks forever. So now they're just the artists formerly known as the Dixie chicks, you know, like right. I don't think anyone's going to really call them the chicks, but well, I it, mean, who cares? They've been around forever. It doesn't really matter. It's funny. Like I, I told, actually, I think you, you said it perfectly and I totally agree on Lady Antebellum, the way that they're going about their name change is absolutely ridiculous. If, if it really means that much that you don't want to be Lady Antebellum, but you also really want to be Lady A, like, take take a look at what you're actually doing here. Um, the, the Dixie Chicks, however, have been kind of cast out of country music, in a sense, since 2006, yeah. after their critique of uh, George Bush invading yep. Iraq. Actually, that was 2003, and then they yep. really got a lot of backlash um, from that they made uh i forgot the name of the album i had it just down here a second ago um back in 2006 which they won a couple of grammys for taking the long way yes taking the long way um obviously the the song um don't want to back down or not ready to back down uh it was the big hit from that i remember seeing that a lot of awards was at the time um and that was kind of like their their rock album in a sense and kind of solidified their move away from country so for them to drop this this piece of their name that kind of is associated with country music in some sense. And, and whether that makes sense or not either that Dixie and country music go together who knows. I think their name change makes a lot of sense because they've been kind of moving away. And this album Gaslighter, the first one in 14 years for this band really seems like the perfect time to change the name. Cause this album is just their, their pop album, right? I mean, they're, they're teaming up with um, Jack Antonoff, our yes, guy who, yeah, who, I mean, has been just like hitting dingers every time he's out there. We talked about him collaborating with Taylor Swift, Lord, um, uh, Lana Del Rey. You know, like yeah, he, he really, just, he's really just been putting out hit after hit. I feel like he he missteps here a little bit, but I feel like maybe that's because this album is so much just a divorce album. You know, like this is uh natalie main just putting her her part out on on the record completely raw um and i think some of these songs feel really exciting and fun and or or heartfelt and some of them feel i think a little childish and then some of them feel a little, a little cookie cutter i'm not gonna lie there's a, i feel like they kind of all fall into like either like really fun like pop country song or like soft ballad or like stripped down acoustic like thought thoughtful song but like there's not really much in between from there how are you feeling about gaslighter as yeah the chicks return yeah it's, it is funny to see and hear them collaborate with jack because it's like did you guys really need this like you already have enough <laughs> juice coming into this as the comeback album the first album in 14 years there's so much baggage they are bringing to this album and this cycle mm -hmm. that i don't know if they need any like creative help i think it's fine it'll take care of itself in that regard but mm -hmm. 
partially because it's a work of Jack. This is just compulsively listenable the entire time. It's yeah. so inoffensive, right? So it's like <laughs> you don't have to be a country fan because it's like the lightest possible country flair, right? Which mm. is funny because that is also quite similar to a lot of successful country these days, which is much more country pop than anything else, right? I think of like someone who has cited the, Dix- uh, the Chicks as a huge influence, Marin Morris, right? And right. Marin Morris is also someone who has followed their lead and being outspoken about what she believes in after country mm-hmm. music as an industry for the longest time was very closed off and what they would tolerate, especially from women. So, right. you know, in, in, in that sense, I think it, it's quite a, quite a success, but it also by design is not nearly as ambitious as some other past work. And again, I think that's fine because it's a comeback right. album. It's more like a, a reset more than anything else. So, yeah, uh, I, I totally agree. And it's interesting, too, because part of what caused this layoff, um, you know, main move to L.A. to be with um, Adrian Pazdar uh, from Heroes. Uh, that's who this album is about. He actually tried to get this album uh, to stop the release because he felt like it might have infringed upon a prenuptial agreement. Um, and he didn't want some of the details coming out that are, are shared in here. Um but they also were feuding with Sony, which it was their production company and uh, had caused a lot of issues for them. And the original thought was they're going to come back, do just like a cover album and get out of the deal because they only had one more album left. And then Ming got divorced and she had a lot more to say and started writing more. Um, I find it really interesting because they brought in some heavy hitting songwriters to help them with this you have julia michaels on i think three or four songs here you have teddy geiger showing up for a song antonoff's all over this um you even have saint vincent annie clark coming on to help with uh young man i mean there's there's some heavy hitters dude oh yeah um and and i I think you can really feel michael's influence on, on the songs that she's on i feel like she really uh played a big part in 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 shaping a song like um let me just find my notes here Further down than I expected. I mean, having Julia Michaels and Jack Antonoff yeah. help you on the same record is in itself a big flex because they're two of the like whisperers yeah. in the mainstream music business that continue to get tons of work because of how talented writers as writers and producers they are. Yeah, and, and like I was saying, Texas Man, um, uh, Tights on My Boat, like some of those songs will hit you to varying degrees, but they're catchy as hell and like. Yeah you know, then you influence, then you put in like the pop, like drum sound and that like little twanging banjo. Uh, and it just feels infectious a lot of it. And I, I thought this was a great listen, uh, a bit inconsistent at times. And I, I felt like they're, they're getting their footing back, but just a really in general, a fun listen. It, what was your reference to the chicks going into this? Like, were you familiar with any of their past work? Really had not listened to their music much at all. I just knew the story. And yeah. The, you know, blow up and all that that followed really mm-hmm. um I'm, I'm curious how how long time fans feel about this album you know in a sense it's probably not a new feeling for most people to have a band or group artists that you like and have liked for a long time inevitably they will sound different it's just the way it goes when you make music for a long enough time but you know maybe there are people that were hotly anticipating this for 14 years and then this is not not quite as uh, country as they want or isn't quite hit actually as hard as they want. I don't know. 
Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's funny. Um, I, I'm some I've been somewhat aware of like the Dixie Chicks and and probably like their their biggest songs. And I went back and I gave a couple of the the deeper cuts some listens. And it's interesting because I think the song that people probably know them most for is their cover of Landslide, which mm-hmm. I mean that's a 30, 40, 50 year old song now. Um, it's it's not anything new. And then you think about the songs of theirs that really do stand out things like not ready to make nice or wide open spaces or um, was a goodbye Earl uh, cowboy take me away. Like the, these songs are, are songs that if you listen to the chicks, you probably know, but they're not songs that have ever really grabbed the zeitgeist. So to like ha- see them have this comeback and to really, I-, I feel like get a lot of recognition and acclaim. I saw quite a few people talking about them on Twitter on Friday and, and over the weekend I find it interesting because I feel like they hold a very interesting space in in popular culture, you know, because they've they have moved away from that original sound. They've really evolved. They're really into like a third act of their career, almost in a sense. It's it's very very interesting to see. Um, anything on here that you really wanted to shout out or that you really liked? I think my favorite song was uh, "Tights on the Boat." Tights on my boat. Mm, that was pretty yeah. funny. Yeah, definitely. And you can kind of hear Maine kind of like smirking at that. Did, did you like the, the title track? Oh, that was my other, other one. Yeah, I like Gaslighter a lot. Yeah. Like uh, I said, I th- just about all of it's very easy to listen to. Yeah, I think Gaslighter is the, the real banger off this. And um, we added that to the playlist already. Um, I, I mean, I also think a song like uh, the, or at least the end of March March feels very much more like old school Dixie Chicks. Um, I thought... Texas Man was pretty good, and Sleep at Night was also really good. I guess I like the beginning of the album now that I'm looking through the track list. Dixie Chicks, man. Check out their song Gaslighter on our Nostalgia Best of 2020 playlist. Might put another um, another song from them on there, as well as songs from Kyle and Ellie and Not Stay Solid Rocky. But, Dave, it's time to move on and talk about a movie that kind of only came onto our radar very recently. Um, shout out the big picture podcast saying that this was one of their favorite movies of the year so far. Um, the vast of night, Dave watching this on Amazon at home. How did you feel watching the, the vast of night? What was your experience like? Yeah. So definitely a movie I wish I saw in the theater because yeah. of how good it is. Um, but yeah, this came out on Amazon on May 29th of this year. So it's been out a while. We are, knowingly coming at this late and it's funny because this is a movie that premiered at a slam dance back in uh, 2019 so january 2019 and that was after uh, andrew patterson the director this is his first film this is after patterson was rejected from numerous film festivals for like all of 2018 after making this mainly at the end of 2016 and you know editing it through 2017 so it's had quite the journey just to get to the screen and you know, Patterson, he's 38. This is his first film. And he's already kind of a successful like videographer based out in OKC. So cool story. And yeah, I, I found I, what I liked about it from the jump was that it just throws you in the story, the narrative. You just kind of latch on with these two characters, Everett yep. and Faye. And you pick up on stuff as you go. It has a really fast-paced dialogue, especially in the early going. Mm-hmm. But there's a, this is a series of monologues in the film that are just completely engrossing and 
hold your attention from Billy and then from the older woman in her home later on. So, you know, it, it, it has some obvious comparison points to stuff like, you know, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. It, it kind of has a Spielbergian sensibility to the filmmaking. It kind of yep. goes without saying. But it also has some, you know, homage of sorts to like Twilight Zone and X-Files, mm-hmm. stuff like that. But, you know, I, th- I thought it was a really thrilling movie. You know, 90 minutes doesn't really waste any time at all. It's really methodical. And it was made for like 700K and it looks fantastic. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, I loved that, it. I really, I really wish I could have seen it in the theater because you can tell this would be a great experience. Totally. It, it really does grip you right from the beginning and, and you're really sucked in. And thinking about... Um, McCor- uh, sorry, not McCormick. Um, Patterson's background as a as a videographer, you can kind of see how he uses the the close ups, how he uses panning away, or even like turning the screen off to really draw your attention to certain aspects of the story. You know, it's it's kind of framed as like there's uh, you know the the sounds going on across this small town, 1950s uh, small town, and, and they don't know New what Mexico. the sounds are, yeah, or, or what what these noises or, or things are, and they start to, um, you know, they start to investigate Faye and, and Everett, and Faye is a telephone operator and patching people through to Everett, and that that first phone call they get from the uh, the old army person who mm-hmm. would you know had the story about like seeing this alien spaceship or believing it was an alien spaceship and. Um, you know, he was picked because he was black and no one was going to listen to them back then. And, mm-hmm. um, but the way it like hands into Everett's face and you never see the guy on the other end of the phone line. And then it actually cuts to black and you're just like sitting and listening to the story, just like you would if you were just sitting and listening to the radio, I thought it was a really awesome choice and something that really like made me focus on just what was being said in the story and like maybe almost like use my imagination to depict part of this, which I thought was an interesting technique. Um, I also thought the way that they like light and frame when they go to that old lady's house to hear her story and her experience with her child being abducted was like a really like eerie dark sense. They use like dim lighting over her face. So she looked very like creepy, but also kind of like she was just this like nice old woman in a sense, you know? So, uh, I, I thought it was really, really effective and it's, it's stuck with me. I watched this a couple of weeks back and um, man, I, I have nothing but really good things to say about this. Um, how did you feel like the, uh, you know, Sierra, Sierra McCormick as Faye and Jake Horowitz as Everett did performance wise? I liked them a lot. You know, they have to deliver quite a lot of dialogue. They have to deliver most of the dialogue in the film mm-hmm. and two actors I was not familiar with. I believe Jay Korowitz. This is maybe one of his first roles, as far as I could tell. He doesn't have a Wikipedia yet. And uh, Sierra McCormick's a little more experienced. Uh, but I like them a lot. And, you know, I, I, I thought Sierra in particular, her, her performance as Faye kind of stood out to me because you could really tell just how lived in this town was, this world was, you know. Again, on a sparse budget, but like those locations, they just feel so real. And Faye feels like a real person, you know, like you tell like how like, genuine she is about like, oh, Everett, you can't do that. That's lying. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. yeah. And, you know, just, just and their relationship in general, you know, as Everett as like a, a talented, aspiring uh, radio, radio DJ personality and Faye as a uh, switchboard operator, you know, kind of both in one sense, highlighting the uh, uh, gender roles of the time. 
but also kind of lending to the, the, I think it kind of lends itself so well in the story because, you know, no, there's, there, there are no phones to try and capture photos of these aliens, right? Faye has to go get that camera yeah. uh, from whoever's house and like, just, just in case. Right. And, earlier on Billy's like yeah it was all these Mexican black soldiers because they know no one will listen to us and believe us what we mm-hmm. say anyway right um, but I, I, honestly I think the second monologue from the old woman really sat with me because in a sense you also I mean on one hand like you know you're kind of on the edge of your seat because you're trying to figure out what's going to happen in the story but yeah. there's also kind of like a sense of like dread and sadness because you understand that this woman's life was effectively ruined yeah. by these aliens taking your fucking kid and mm-hmm. then thus everyone changing their opinion on her after they already were judging her due to the custom of the time and having a wedlock kid. You know, I was like, wow, they're, they're, it's kind of a lot there, a lot there to sit there and chew on. And then whenever it wasn't believing her and like wouldn't take the words right. that the aliens speak, right? And like you could just tell like he was like breaking her heart. She felt like this was like her last chance. And it's, uh, I think, I think it's, it's a really impressive movie. Yeah. And, you know, for it to be framed as this like kind of like mystery sci-fi alien movie and to be hitting on such heavy themes and really having you sit with those themes, you know, like you talked about the uh, racial inequality and injustices within the military, the the stigma of having a child out of wedlock. And really, you know, she was taken advantage of by this person who uh, she had this child with. She, she didn't even know how to read. She like dropped out of school. There was like there were so many instances that like led to her being stigmatized for her plight in life. But um, you know, a lot of those things being out of her control and like having you really sit with how our, our culture and our society comes to develop those things. And then kind of framing that around this like ghost story, I thought was, or this uh, alien story was very interesting. How did you feel about like the last third of the movie when they, when they kind of like go into the field and the ship arrives and things like that. Did you feel like, like that hit for you the way you expected? We're hoping. Yeah, for sure. It's also, you know, it's one of those movies when you, you know, know going in that it's modestly made, you're like, hmm, is this something where you don't actually see, you know, what's, what's haunting you, what aliens are here, whatever it might be. Right. Yeah. But then you actually see that ship in the distance and you're like, imagine being those fucking kids right there, seeing yeah. that right after everything that had been, through that night and <laughs> later which i don't know uh, you know you see that it's just it's just this one little like scout vessel as part of a larger mothership or whatever mm-hmm. you know it's uh it's a sci-fi movie it, you know it, it doesn't like od on its sci-fi-ness but it's like just enough right so again that's why i like the you know the spielbergian nature of it all obviously mm-hmm. really stands out um you know andrew patterson has befriended Steven Soderbergh thanks to this movie. I think Soderbergh uh, saw this at Slam Dance because he was promoting High Flying Bird at the time. Mm. And Soderbergh has espoused a lot of praise for Patterson in terms of what he was able to accomplish in this movie. Again, knowing uh, everything it took to make this. And, you know, Soderbergh, of course, the, the one who ushered in the modern indie film. It's, I'm sure that's yeah. a, a wild a wild uh, thing to hear. And um, sure. I think Patterson and Soderbergh, they, they, there's like an interview you can talk, they talking to each other in the LA times. Pretty interesting to hear that. Um, and Patterson, he, he financed this whole movie by himself. So he said he owns the movie. That's pretty cool. Apparently he also, he already shot this movie. It's a quote, a revenge thriller around the honey bee industry. Oh, so, shit. 
yeah, I don't know. Um, and uh, there's other stuff, other stuff in the in, in, in the kitchen. So who knows when that other movie comes out? But uh, definitely a really intriguing uh, debut. And he's someone who you know again he's a little older than your average new filmmaker. And he's based in OKC, not on the coast. And he doesn't have any social media. So it seems like he's grounded and he wants to do what he wants, uh, stick to what he wants to do, which yeah. is nice because, again, we've seen nascent filmmakers very quickly be snatched up by franchises and oh, yeah. kind of artistically held back uh, right. as soon as they debut. We've gone over that before. So hopefully he sticks to his guns because he doesn't, doesn't seem like he really needs a whole lot of help, you know? But imagine what this guy could do with like 10 million bucks or 20 million bucks. Yeah. You know, it's funny, as you were saying that, I was trying to think of like the directors that have kind of stayed away from that, like that payday, that franchise movie thing. And uh, I mean, Barry Jenkins, I think is the one that comes to mind as he always kind of does what he wants to do. Chazelle. Yeah, that's true. I'm trying to think if there's any female directors that really stand out in that sense. Greta. Yes. Greta for sure. Jordan Peele. Yeah. Although he did Twilight Zone. Yeah, Jordan Peele got, got that bag, and he he yeah. he's like an EP on so many things at this point. Yeah, <laughs> you know, Candyman. He probably mm-hmm. just like looked at it once, and they're like slap Jordan Peele on there, you know. But Andrew Patterson, he, do, he does seem pretty thoughtful though. So I don't think we're we, I don't think he's the next Trank. That's that's nice. I'm with Chron- Chronicle. It's an easy comp. Chronicle, another really true uh, eye catching. That was more superhero, but you know, science fiction angled movie made for modest money. So. Yeah, very exciting. Definitely want to recommend that to everyone because, you know, apparently it played some drive-ins too back in that's, May. That must have that, been cool. sick because that's like a classic feel. It's a classic feeling movie. Mm-hmm. And back at a time when that's how most people watched movies was at a drive-in, you know, so yeah. that was probably a really cool experience. Yeah, man. Give me the uh, the beekeeping movie now. I need it. Uh, that sounds yeah. super interesting. Honeyland 2, Revenge of the Bees. <laughs> All right. So uh, that that does it for us this week. Five albums and a movie. What more could you want? And what what can the people be expecting for next week, Dave? So we don't don't have a lot. We've been <laughs> saying this more often than not. Now um, we have Logic's Logic's purported retirement album. So there's a lot riding on this final album before Logic leaves the rap game to be more uh, not public facing. We'll talk about that next week. Definitely interesting. Also, with the arrival of Peacock, we have Brave New World, the sci-fi banner sh- original show for Peacock starring Alden Ehrenreich and others. So we have those things, and so we'll see what else happens. <laughs> there will be something. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll hit some albums we, we've missed. Who knows? But stay tuned. Hit that subscribe. Go to uh, soundcloud.com slash nostalgiapod, and also follow us on Twitter at nostalgiapod. Stay safe. Wear a mask. Yeah.